0: Columbia Pictures presents. Dom DeLuis. Suzanne Plichette. Jerry Reed. Ossie Davis. And the biggest lineup of crooks, schnooks, and case histories on record. In Hot Stuff. The story of the most successful fencing operation ever run. Under arrest. By cops. So hold on to your hat, your car, your portable TV your electric guitar, your transistor radio, your cops, your robbers, your fish, your raft, your hair, your van, your motorcycle, your surfboard, your sanity, Little Orphan Annie in Florida. And your sense of humor. Because only one person could take a story this true. And make it seem so unbelievable. I'm hiding behind you, Dom Deloitte. Hot stuff. You won't believe it. But it really happened.
1: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome. Episode 6. If I was in heavy metal movies mode, I'd say episode 666 of 70 movies we saw in the 70s. Fortunately, I'm not in that mode, Uh, but I am the author of a book called Heavy Metal Movies as as well as one named Teen Movie Hell. My name is Mike McPadden. I'm joined by my regular co-host in Madison,
2: Wisconsin. Ben Reiser uh, from UW-Madison, UW Cinematheque, Wisconsin Film Festival, um, this podcast, Engineer Crackpot Cinema, Engineer Cinema Talk, um, which brings us to our next guest, who is a guy, I'm going to let him introduce himself, but I want to say I was thinking today he could host his own podcast that was titled 70 Movies I Saw Just This Week Alone. And, <laughs> yeah, that's Mr. Jim Healy. Jim, talk about yourself.
3: Oh, thanks. It's it's really a pleasure to be part of the crackpot cinematic universe, (laughs) Uh, even if this isn't crackpot cinema. Um, Yes, my name is Jim Healy. I'm the director of programming of the UW Cinematheque and the Wisconsin Film Festival and a lifelong cinephile and film fanatic and and the occasional host of Cinema Talk, our podcast here in uh, Madison that sprung out of the Cinematheque. Thanks to Ben's ingenuity and, uh, and, uh, we've had recent guests like, uh, Alexander Payne and Bill Forsyth and Mary Sweeney, uh, talking usually about whatever movie it is we're offering that week for free to watch at home, uh, which we're, which we've been doing since, uh, the plague has come down on us, <laughs> uh, but usually ro- year round our Cinematech offers, uh. Two or three movies a weekend for free that people can see here in Madison, uh, shown in their original theatrical exhibition format, usually 35 millimeter, or restored DCP if we can get it. And if,
2: and, if we then, hadn't yeah. been in if we hadn't been in playtimes, we fully uh, intended to have Mike McPadden come oh, yeah. come come up to Madison this summer and show a couple of films of the teen movie hell and heavy metal movies variety.
3: Yeah, and whenever we get showing movies again, Mike, we'll we'll, we'll get you on the schedule right Mike, away. I'm we'll eager. To do some of those ideas we talked about. Yeah.
1: I'm eager to just uh, see you guys, period. I'm eager to see anybody, period, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but.
3: That's, that's what it is. We were talking about that last week with Alexander Payne on our podcast right. about how movies is, uh, right now, it's not it's not seeing them on a big screen. It's not even going to the movies to see People, movies with people It's just going to the movies That's just yep, what yep. we miss the most is, is the act we, of going. Uh,
1: My dog Zelda uh, Is very nervous a lot So we'll just put like a TV on, Like a sitcom on for her to watch And just leave them on And the Big Bang Theory was on the other day And they were in a movie theater lobby Buying popcorn And I swear I wanted to I was like grasping at the television I just wanted to jump in there with The Big Bang Gang and just, just see any movie. I'll say Marvel, Star Wars. I don't care. Just anything with the seats, the popcorn, the any the non plague reality that once was. <laughs> so Yeah,
3: that's well, one of my favorite things in movies is just to see just to see the act of watching movies in a movie. That was always one of my favorite things, even before we couldn't go to the movies anymore. Do you have a favorite example of that? Movie theaters in movies. Well, we did a whole series of them in at, here at uh, at Madison. We did a series called Projecting the Cinema, and it had to be a movie where the the primary setting of the film was inside a movie theater. I mean, there are hundreds of movies that have scenes where characters go to the movies, or but this had to be where the where the setting was. And uh, my favorite discovery from that series was. Uh, the uh, Bigas Luna Horror film uh, With Zelda Rubinstein uh, The title of which Is escaping me right Anguish. now Anguish, thank you, Anguista <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. which, which literally tries to put The audience in a trance uh, and, and convince you that You, like the characters in the film, are being stalked By a murderer Loose inside a movie theater
1: Yes uh, I, I love that movie, that is a real mind blower that thing it's very weird really uh, good film did you ever see the french movie porn theater
3: yes uh that was part of the series if i, I, if I recall ask, yeah. yeah and there's a filipino film that came out around the same time called service which is about a filipino porn theater wow and oh man. that had been picked up for distribution in the u.s by a small company and then they went under and the movie got lost in limbo and i don't know if it's still floating out there or not but it's uh so similar.
1: Double feature, yeah. Yeah. No, that French movie, I went to see it here, and uh, having had some porn theater experience in my life, <laughs> it was it rang very horribly true. I'll just say <laughs> that. <laughs> Has one of my favorite... Nobody... That movie seems to have disappeared. One of my favorite shots in the history of cinema is when the lights come on, and they just do an overhead pan, like just the camera just is looking down on the seats from above. From the ceiling and just slowly rolls over all the detritus and waste and fluid. <laughs> and it really, I mean, you are there. God bless you. So um, on a less salacious note, let's talk about uh, this week's uh, motion picture from the 70s. that uh, Speaking of detritus. Jim saw in yeah. the 70s. Yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just realized we're going from, or your show is going from what's up, doc, to what's up? Drek, <laughs>
1: I mean, I have to say, I was watching this. And I was like, "What are we doing here, Jim?" Yeah, like, what the hell? <laughs> this was our our guest's pick, and I really threw out. I was like, "What's up, Jim?" Now What's wait, Mike. Here? Mike, did you yeah. see
2: this in the
4: theater?
1: No, no. Oh, okay. I wa- I lack daisically watched it on the ABC Friday Night Movie in 1981. But I think I was like not paying attention to it. But I remember it coming on and being on. Did now, you see I,
3: it? I didn't see it in the theater. I uh, I saw it in 1980,
2: but I can talk about that. Ben, did you see it in the theater? No. I don't think I've ever, I, I wasn't sure if I had or not, and then when I watched it twice, although I still can't tell you that I saw the whole thing, but I have sat in front of it twice this past week. I was like, I don't, I've never seen this movie. I've never seen any part of this movie.
3: So it's a movie that really none of us saw in the seventies. A very Mike special worked. edition of seventies.
2: <laughs> well, we, we, saw,
1: so. we do extend the seventies culturally to mid eighty two. Perfect.
3: Yeah. Oh, in yeah. fact, I have I have a whole yeah right mid eighty two, and I have a whole thing about Dom de Louise that extends to mid eighty two that I'll that I'll talk about in a minute.
2: Please. Yeah, well, those. the other the other movie that I watched I watched two other movies for research this week. Um, one of them is sort of a holdover from from our convoy episode. I did watch Highballin' with Jerry Reed. Okay, and ties Fonga, right in here. Yeah, but much more uh, happily, I I watched um, Anne Bancroft's Fatso um, mm-hmm. from nineteen eighty, right? Yeah, in the theater yeah.
3: twice. Yeah.
2: Wow, yeah, which is a movie. So- I'll just say right off the bat, <laughs> I wish we were talking about that. I, I could talk for a long time about that movie, and. Um, Especially uh, Dom DeLuise's um, uh, starring performance in that, but okay, let's go. Hot stuff. <laughs> you guys take. Well, it well hot let's stuff.
1: talk about Fatso for a second because I saw that on television and was. It was not the film I expected. No. And as a fat kid, I was on the verge of tears often. And then my father came in and started pointing out the the Christian symbolism in the movie. Oh. Such as um. when. Um, they stop in front of a church, and Dom is, like, wiping dog dew off of uh, somebody's feet. And uh, and he said, so, yeah. So my father was like, and my father would bust these out. He was an extreme weirdo. But he'd be like, you see? He's being crucified by his addiction to food. I was like, oh, <laughs> Jesus, you're right, Pop.
3: <laughs> two, two things I'll say about Fatso. Uh, I saw it in the theater when it came out. And then I saw it in the second half of a double bill uh, with Caddyshack at a drive-in uh, <laughs> wow. later later that summer. Yeah, in the rain. I remember the rain was coming down. But uh, hiding
2: Deloise's tears, it was Dom's tears. And the rain <laughs> and so-
3: yeah, it was like that scene in uh, In Cold Blood, right? Yes. Or, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the tears are.
2: Covering up Robert Blake's God face. God damn does he cry throughout that whole movie in a, in a great <laughs> way. I think it's a fantastic performance. It really movie. is. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Tears dropping in the in the in the red gravy.
2: Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah.
3: It's well, uh, two things. The in my family, everybody saw it and loved it. And get the honey, Junior was a catchphrase in our in my family after that movie. And uh, I found out later that uh, when I was working at Eastman House, George Eastman House, where Martin Scorsese keeps a large part of his personal 16 millimeter and 35 millimeter film collection that he liked the film very much. I think mentioned it in a film comment uh, interview once and uh, got word to Ann Bancroft, who wrote and directed the film, and Mel Brooks, who produced it, that he thought it was the best depiction of an Italian-American family to date in movies. Wow. And they gave him, they gave him a print of the film. Which, uh, which was at which was at Eastman House, if I remember right.
2: Well, can I just say that uh, doing some research, the at the time reviews of Hot Stuff, um, which were full of praise, Roger Ebert, Roger Ebert, yeah. Roger yeah. Ebert loved this goddamn movie. Vincent, no, he gave it two and a half. Well, hang stars. on, we have to no no. Let's wait. Let's do the <laughs> reviews at the end. Let's get yeah. through the. Okay, but all first. I want to yeah. say is Hot Stuff yeah. got okay, qualified good reviews and Fatso got uh, eviscerated by the critics yeah that's true
3: yeah i think that's true yeah. um hot stuff has never been a, a a uh specifically important film to me it is a film i can tell you that when i did see it i saw it probably four or five times within a within a month and it didn't it didn't exactly uh uh have diminishing returns those viewings sure. but uh I, so I, I need to say that i as a as an 11 year old i enjoyed it um but it 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 just on un- there's a lot to unpack with this movie both personally and i think where it's coming from as a film excellent um and uh you know in, in its place in film history and and a lot to talk about in terms of you know uh, our tastes and uh just in general, you know how this movie even even came to exist, um, and and at a time when you know uh, when movies like this could get made and released widely to theaters, and you're never going to see anything anything like that again, which is which is something to, I guess, admire and, and talk about. But I I saw it I think on an earlier uh, episode of this podcast, Mike. You mentioned that Convoy was. Was it the first movie you saw on pay television?
1: On HBO, yes, yeah. Okay. The any first pay mov- TV, yes.
3: Any pay TV. The, the first yeah. movie I saw on any video cassette and any pay TV service was the same movie. In, Convoy? Uh, no, it wasn't Convoy.
1: Oh, oh, oh okay. Yeah, but it was yeah. the same movie. <laughs> okay, yeah.
3: Uh, in early 1980, I visited uh, my family visited an aunt who had a, either a Betamax or a VHS machine, and she had just purchased. Blake Edwards Ten, which was, had just been in theaters Whoa. like five months yeah. before, and it must have been like hundred bucks. Had seen right? It. How much were those? Those say so, yeah, like those were like seventy nine ninety
1: five. I think was I like remember the that was the going price was like yeah. seventy nine ninety five. Yeah, for for years. Wow. Yeah.
3: And uh, my parents had seen the film, and then we knew it was R. And but the the, the doors were starting to open up a little bit on those on on R rated movies for us. So they looked at each other and were like, "Yeah, let's. I really want to see it again. Let's let the kids watch it." I was. You know, going on 11, my brother Pat was going on 9, and, and I don't remember if my older brother was there, but we watched it and loved the movie. And then just about a week or two later, we learned that the suburbs of Chicago and all of Chicagoland, where I was growing up, was getting a pay TV service. Now, uh, because cable TV did not come to Chicago in the suburbs until 1985, which is crazy um, because it was all kinds of political issues and things. It was the same
1: story in New York City. It was 86. Wow. Yeah.
3: So what we had was the version of Wometko Home Theater. Mm -hmm. And it was a pay TV service that I think started in Los Angeles and went to a bunch of markets around the country. It was called On TV. And a pay TV service that was like from 5 or 7 o'clock, till, you know, two in the morning on weekdays, and then it would start mid-afternoons and go even a little bit later on weekends. And then as the years went on, they expanded their hours out a little bit all the time. But the, uh, the, the very first movie they broadcast was 10. So wow. I, saw this, I saw the same movie. And my mother took, she, uh, part-time job, took subscriptions. So she, was, oh. she worked the phone banks. And so we got it for free. Um, and uh, I and they used to say I don't know how it was. It was you know, it was it was like Wometco Home Theater. It was like a box that was on top of your TV with one switch on TV and off. Right. And <laughs> and you turned it on, and when it wasn't on, you got the scrambled wavy bars. Uh, and then you turned it on, and uh, I remember when my dad was setting up, the broadcast of Ten had already begun, and even though we'd already seen the movie, uh, we could see. It, you know, uh, nudity in between the, uh, <laughs> the the scrambled bars, and you know we were giggling to ourselves, and my dad got real angry and said, "Look, you guys, you're not gonna take this seriously <laughs> and be mature." You know, we're ten and eight. You know. Yeah. And uh, and he, you know, he f- it finally got turned on, and we watched most of ten. You know, again for the second time, but hot stuff. I'm almost positive was a movie that they offered in the first month and so you know and it was a film that i had remembered being in theaters that i kind of wanted to see and had missed and uh and watched it several times and and i was a fan as a as as an 11 year old i'm i was a fan of the movie um but uh you know what wh- where it was coming from from me was the much less the uh Burt Reynolds, Hal Needham school of filmmaking, which I think is much more a part of than the Mel Brooks school of filmmaking, uh, which is you know those are the, the the two big Dom DeLuise influences that are sure. uh, that are that are coming together here and making this movie, or allowing for this movie to be made, I guess because. <laughs> You know, we can talk about where Dom Dalois was coming from, and
2: yeah, I and, want to hear that. What and, does anybody uh, know? How did he wind up directing this, and what do you what What was on his mind, if anything? Well, you know, he was a he was a
3: I think a, a started off in the you know in the '60s as a as a as an actor, as a trained actor with a serious, you know, a potentially serious man. You can see him in Failsafe where he has a completely straight, dramatic role. And then is doing a lot of TV. And I don't know what his breakout is, but Mel Brooks' second film, The Twelve Chairs, he has a really significant, zany comic part in it. But that was a movie that you know, more or less like the producers, or even less than the producers, nobody went to see in the theaters. It was not a, a hit, maybe a cult movie. And Certainly got re-released after Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles,
1: but, but really, yeah, a forgotten film for the most part.
3: Yeah, and and he's do he does a bunch of bunch of films in the early seventies. Deluise, he's I think the same year as Twelve Chairs, he's got a part in Norwood, which was a uh, another Charles Portis adaptation that uh, has some of the same cast as True Grit, Kim wow. Darby, and, Glenn, and the same producer. I've never seen it. Norwood's a great book, but. Deluise is, is in it that a, film. Is it a western? No, it's not. It's a urban. It's a story of a southerner who comes to New York, and which was kind of Portis's story. But I, I've never seen that. And then there's uh, he's in Who is Carrie Kellerman? Uh, right. With Dustin Hoffman, bunch of films. But when I was seven years old, my the first Mel Brooks movie I ever saw, uh, period, was Silent Movie, and so that was my introduction to Dom Deluise
2: and. He's I feel hilarious. like that. I, I feel movie. like to me too. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Me too.
1: The fr- I saw um, Young Frankenstein first, uh, but Silent Movie I saw three times that summer. Watched it again not that long ago. It is a riot. I mean, it paralyzes me with laughter. I can't believe how funny it is and how that has completely slipped through the cracks. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't.
3: It's not one that gets revived very often, but. It- no,
2: compared to like Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein, no, nobody talks about it. But no, and, and I have seen Space Young Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had seen I had seen Blazing Saddles in a theater. There was one of the mo- movies. I finally convinced my parents. One of the first R-rated movies. I convinced them to let me see with my friends. for His family. And then I had seen Bla- um, Young Frankenstein. I'm sure more than once. But but Silent Movie is also the one. Not only that, I remember probably seeing more than those other two in theaters. I must have seen it three or four times in theaters. But I, I feel like that's my, that was my main first impression of Dom DeLuise was through that movie, Silent Movie.
3: Yeah, and the, but I guess he had already become a part of the, uh, the diaspora of Mel Brooks, <laughs> uh, Mel Brooks alumni because uh, he's in, he's in uh, Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, Smarter Brother, which is right. before Silent Movie. Um, and then directed Gene by Wilder. Gene Wilder, yeah, right, and with Marty Feldman and Madeline yeah. Kahn, they're they're all in there. And then he's in the World's Greatest Lover after Silent Movie. Also, we should mention Silent Movie is the is also the also has a significant cameo by Burt Reynolds. So it's oh yeah, it's all of those. It's Dom's major. Uh, uh, That's the center
1: can... of the Venn diagram is the <laughs> yeah. shower scene in Silent Movie. Yes. Yeah.
2: So. I would love for us to talk about World's Greatest Lover on a different episode. But um so when is the first time that Dom Deloise, and Burt Reynolds hook up in it? That's moment? it. Silent Movie, I think. Oh, that's in it? the shower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and then uh
3: and then in 1978, Burt Reynolds directs his second film, which is The End. Right. Uh a comedy about suicide of a scattershot comedy about suicide uh directed by or written by jerry belson uh who who wrote smile and right. uh and dom de if i remember right it's been a couple years since i've seen it um he kind of shows up in the second half of the film and is is really like the kind of the start of the of the uh of the second half story, which is, you know, Burt Reynolds trying in, is in a, they're in a mental hospital. Right. And he's just trying yeah. to, he's De- De- Deloise is trying to help him commit suicide over right. and over again. But the, but the controversy of the film when it came out, at least in Chicago, was that, uh, the way they're introduced to each other is Dom Deloise. I think he's, has he killed his father because his father, uh, was, uh, the, living embodiment of a Polish joke. And then <laughs> I don't remember that. Dom Eloise tells a number yeah. of Polish jokes in the wow. film. The Polish community was, uh, oh, understandably, yeah. uh, offended and, uh, and, and protested the film. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's a movie where you can, you, you get the feeling like you do in a lot of these Hal Needham films that they're, uh, you know, they're just cracking each other up the whole yeah. time. And, And and having fun and then so that's 78 and hot stuff comes out summer of 79 it starts shooting in the fall of 78 and is ready for release the summer of 79 now this is another big uh personal thing for me the summer of 79 is when i really start cranking up my movie going i'm not going every week in 79 by 80 81 82 i'm definitely seeing a movie a week at least but in 79, the Chicago Tribune, uh, in its sun, a Sunday edition, like in late May, publishes a parade magazine-style insert for the newspaper, full color with tons of color ads, announcing the summer movie season. And it's nothing but ads for the movies that are coming out uh, with a long article by Gene Siskel, Talking about the uh, the summer movie season and what it's become since Jaws and Star Wars, and talking about the films that are coming out, and you know what they means and what what part of the markets are being served by the various films. And I held on to that thing for two or three years, and it just you know like a lot of copies of books I have just kind of fell apart, and eventually I threw it sure. out. But it, it became a mission to me to see you know every f- film that got mentioned in that insert, which was o- almost every film being released that summer. And I, I still haven't caught
1: up with them all.
3: Um,
1: but Do you know I, any that have, have, are still eluding you?
3: Well, one is a film you did on Crackpot recently, which I, I, I'm really good at keeping up on these podcasts and seeing the movies. But I still haven't been able to get to Bloodline yet. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. no.
1: I, I Bloodline was great. I really enjoyed Bloodline. I'm right?
3: going to make a point of it. Maybe I'll do it this afternoon. Yeah. Uh, but another Paramount film uh, with Ali McGraw and uh, Dean Martin's son called Players.
1: Players, the tennis movie, yeah. <laughs> and a I couple that, that. I, yeah. I,
3: I never saw it. Uh, a couple that I just recently caught up with. Uh, one on Friday, which was kind of a research for this podcast, uh, which was – Columbia's biggest film for that summer and a big flop called Hanover Street. Never saw it. Uh, Peter Hyams' World War II romance that they 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 spent a lot of money on because they got Harrison Ford to star right. in it. The whole thing takes place in 1943, and Harrison Ford still has his shaggy Han Solo <laughs> cut. He's playing a bomber pilot, and he has this Han Solo cut because I'm I'm guessing he went right into Empire Strikes Back afterwards right. and couldn't you know couldn't cut the locks. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a very good film. Nothing looked
1: more boring than that movie.
3: That's, I, I agree. And, <laughs> yeah. I, and I think most people felt that way and they stayed away from yeah. it. The, the thing that surprised me about it is, you know, Peter Hyams' movies are usually mashups of different things sure. that, he's, that he's seen. And, and uh, the other half of the film, after the kind of weepy, MGM-style, glossy romance, uh, is, is Catch-22, where his mm-hmm. co-pilots all speak in this kind of absurd comic language about you know the absurdity wow. of war and uh, uh, it, it you know it's uh, Joseph Hell not Joseph Heller it's just uh, <laughs> awful to listen to uh, but uh, but that was their big film and and I've learned since that Columbia where hot stuff came out of was you know going through another one of their Many transition periods, and so uh, you you probably remember the story of David Bagelman and how he embezzled from the studio, yes. which became the book *Indecent Exposure*. And the a great book, great Love book. book. I highly recommend that book. Yeah. Um, and uh, they, the studio, went through uh, big changes again when they finally had to get rid of Bagelman Yeah. Even even though they had just come off of *Close Encounters* and had this huge success with it. Close Encounters pinball machine, by the way, in Hot Stuff. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yes. I always note Mike, the pinball. Have you, ever,
2: have you ever played that machine? Many Mike? times, I know yeah. you were a pinball guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: many times. I mean, yeah, we spent the summers on the Jersey Shore, so I pretty much had the run of any pinball that we're going to see in a 70s
2: movie. <laughs> but have you seen that machine in recent years? I have anywhere, it was or?
1: because my wife and I always sort of have an eye open to buy one. And uh, there was one it was kind of cheap but it needed a lot of work so we didn't pick it up and and really i hate to say this but like the pre late 90s pinball machines are so deadly boring and difficult to play but it would be cool to have a close encounter as it plays the little do 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 but so yes i have seen it yeah
3: so the, I guess the studio had a bunch of flops in 78 um but they were all kind of medium to low budget, so it wasn't that big of a deal. And then in summer of 79, they their medium budget, bigger budget film was Hanover Street, and they were kind of hedging some bets on that. It didn't pay off. And they had uh, also that summer Nightwing, the, which yeah. I just caught up with, which is the not very good Vampire movie. A movie, movie. I, ret- I,
1: I, I turned down the chance to go to see because it was rated PG.
3: <laughs> and and directed by Arthur Hiller and released one week before The In Laws, which might be his best movie, uh in the summer of seventy nine. Oh yeah.
1: The In Laws is the greatest. So that was
3: that was a film I did go to see that. I want to see as many of the comedies as possible. But but Columbia had four comedies that summer, all you know, medium budget, low budget comedies that they released uh old school style. You know, Jaws, Jaws was the movie that started with the summer saturation bookings, right? You get a bunch of prints and you release right. it everywhere on the same day and you make a ton of money. Network at, television
1: advertising,
3: yeah. And, right, you yeah. hit everybody with TV advertising and newspaper and, you know, across the board, billboards and everything. But Columbia went back to the old school way that summer and they had, they had four movies. They were all going to be released over the summer. But they made a limited number of prints, and they released them in different markets at different times. From what I can tell, New York and Chicago got Hot Stuff at the same time, around August mm. of 79. But it the, opened
2: it, August 10th, 1979 in New York.
3: And I'm, I'm pretty sure that was the, the same time it opened in, in Chicago and you know august is usually the month where the weaker summer movies open but uh, i I had to look and we'll talk about that later i guess what else was playing at the time but but that that summer they had three other comedies that they released in that fashion where it would you know play different markets at different times and the, the other films were um all the three films were all uh uh, comedies Lost and Found with George Siegel and Glenda Jackson reuniting them from A Touch of Class. Touch, yeah. I, think I must Melvin, have seen that. I must No, have no
1: memory of it. Don't remember it at all. Never saw
3: it. That's an omission yeah. for me. And it was on Amazon Prime for like three years and I did never bothered to watch it. Uh, and I'm a George Segal fan too. Sure. And a Glenda Jackson fan. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that was one. And then two other movies that you both covered on... Uh, crackpot mike one was just you and me kid with george burns <laughs> okay, and brooke yes. shields which right. i did see that played the arlington my <laughs> my theater in uh, downtown arlington heights and i remember seeing that early in the summer and i think that got released in new york later and the other one was the villain the kirk douglas wow. halloween god damn live action yeah. roadrunner uh, movie with arnold schwartz in it. yes which well, I, now which hot I stuff doesn't song. look so bad. Yeah.
1: No. Oh, oh, yeah. No. You're absolutely right. No. Hot stuff is easily the best of the four. Oh, abso- absolutely. Yes. Yeah.
3: Uh, well, not not having seen Lost and Found, but what I heard right. about it, um, I'm sure it is. But uh, it, and um, you know, it's 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 the Hal Needham, Burt Reynolds universe uh, without either guy. I think right uh, yeah. although ha- Needham is given special thanks at the end of the film and I think he did coordinate the 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 whole action scene with the with the gun dealers I think that was okay. his Okay yeah that was his yeah or uh, this the coordinated the stunts for that scene I right think. right we re- re- return to doing that um and uh and you you know you've got Jerry Reed from Smokey and the Bandit yeah and uh, Ossie Davis, who was a, Burt, a friend of Burt Reynolds. I, I, I feel, I feel the, the spirit of Burt Reynolds really hovering over this film. Oh, clearly. Uh, and,
1: and set in Florida, which, of course, is his home turf and everything. Right, right. Uh, to me, the impression I got from this movie, it just, as with so many of the late 70s Hollywood films that you watch now, and you kind of can't believe how bad they are and incomprehensible, <laughs> this just seemed capsized by cocaine. That's my only guess on all this, and not because it's energetic and wild, but it's because it's so disjointed, and I feel that way now about a lot of the modern Hollywood movies, but to me, it's because everybody is looking at their phone, like script readers are not paying attention, everybody's like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that, because they're texting each other, so I really feel like that the social media, the, the smartphone has replaced cocaine, and we have a sort of return to the... Completely incoherent idiocy of hot
2: stuff and its ilk. So, yeah, here's a a question I have for both of you. Um, how is it that Donald Westlake allowed his (laughs) name to be associated with this film? I mean, there's a guy who used pseudonyms left and right. I don't see there's not a single Westlakean moment in this movie other than, I guess, the concept of cops running a pawn shop, an illegal pawn shop, and buying used, you know, Uh, yeah, I have an answer for you. Okay. He uh, fought
3: to get his name on this film. Wow! On it, <laughs> yes. The 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 there was a Time magazine story in 1974-75. Uh, the Fuzz and the Fence was the original title of the script that was derived from the story about cops posing as um, fencers at a pawn shop, uh, at a crooked pawn shop, and collecting. The stolen goods and the, the f- collecting the names of the thieves and the, their sources somehow, and, and and saving it all up for one big bust, and he was commissioned. Uh, I don't know if it was by Columbia, but by by some studio to write write the script, um, and he wrote it. Uh, it s- sat around for a few years. Eventually, became this Dom de Louise comedy. And Delauez and six other writers had their names on the on the shooting script, including Michael Caine, who is the, is his other co
2: credited writer on the film. Right. and Did we know anything about Michael Caine? I couldn't even find anything about. He him. wrote
1: and the Bandit too. Yeah, he's a TV oh, director. Yeah. Uh, wrote a couple of interesting movies, um, but yeah, really? Smoking the Bandit too is probably the biggest of them. Yeah. But I think we should get to what the movie is. But first, I just say that
3: the reason Westlake had to fight was because he was contractually, in his original contract, he was going to get a bonus if he got a credit on the film. In other words, oh, if they used right. the script. Yeah, yeah. So he he put the script through Writers Guild arbitration. And uh, because Dom DeLuise had underlined all the lines in his script that he submitted that he wrote and contributed. And Westlake showed his original draft and it was like... Delaweez was taking credit not just for things he had written in his script, but Westlake says th- these were jokes that were, that were you know old before Dom Delaweez's grandfather was born, <laughs> and they were jokes like you know what burns my ass a flame this high, this high. he holds a high up to his ass his hand up to his ass, <laughs> <Yeah>. and
2: uh, <laughs> and 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 he 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 won the case well, when Jerry Reed says. Um, a Revo Dirty. And then the guy goes, No thanks, I'm Dutch. I don't understand. I don't understand any part of that.
1: I just thought that was kind of like a no soap radio non sequitur. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, it's got a again,
1: cocaine, you know, and it made me think,
2: well, perhaps this is why they chose Miami to set the action. Well, Katie, who my wife, who watched uh, Smokey and the Bandit with me last week uh, for research purposes and then watched this with me immediately was like, what the hell happened to Jerry Reed between Smokey and the band in this movie? Because it looks like he had a lot of road miles, which I don't even know. I think he looks all right. This yeah. But he is, like, rail thin, thinner than yeah. he was yeah. even the last couple of years in movies.
3: But Mike, do you want to run down the very brief synopsis of what the yeah. movie is? I'm not saying be brief. I'm just saying it's, I think it's impossible <laughs> yeah, yeah. to
2: not be brief. when.
3: Yeah.
1: No, that's it. I mean, that was. I started to get
2: worried. Like, I
1: have, like, no notes <laughs> while well, I was <always>
2: watching <laughs> Well, I I'll jump right in on the on the open. It's it's I, I, it's nice to see that it's got a pre credit action sequence right. that sort of that that predates Lethal Weapon Two and right. a whole bunch of other things, which made that a sort of a mandatory right. thing. But it does actually start like in the middle of a chase, basically. Right.
1: and then and that establishes uh, so we have uh, this this four this core four uh, on the police force who are frustrated. Um, we get this chase, and then they immediately the Perps that they were chasing for stealing a guitar uh, <laughs> are cut loose, and uh, so so let's.
2: Well, no, isn't there a thing? Isn't there even a? There's a thing before that whole guitar man thing, right? There's an opening shootout. There's a
1: big shootout with the with the they're chasing a guy in a van. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. That's how. the Right. That's start. the big
1: bang. Yeah. And then yes. Right. Then the movies. Okay. You're right. Yeah.
3: Well, then you get the great Jerry Reed song.
1: The uh, hot stuff. Of- Opening yes. credit montage, which yeah so, makes reference Ger- to
3: his Jerry big Reed. Hit. That's right. When you're hot, when you're, you're,
2: hot, hot, you're, hot. you're hot. Yeah. So, so Jerry Reed did at least three movie theme right. songs for movies that he was in. Do you, can you name or I don't? There might be more than that, but this one, hot stuff, Gator, High Rollin'. Oh, okay. So there's another one, Gator. Uh, Eastbound right. and Down is the uh, sort of unofficial, official Smokey sure. and the Bandit yeah. theme song. And then he he did this song called High Rollin', which actually is pretty good. That for that for some reason it's the theme song for High Ballin'. But he's not Ballin', singing high ballin' tested better, high probably. Rollin'. Yeah, he yeah, He's gonna
3: ballin'. get he was gonna get High Rollin' on AM radio and uh, not. High but ballin'. I
2: actually prefer the other song in this movie that this is a musical montage sequence. To. It's called Keep It Loose, and it sounds very ABBA-esque. It sounds yeah, a lot no, like their Money 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 song, right? He yeah, leapt out at me. Yeah.
1: So, we meet we meet our core four, so, and, and I was saying, you know, and this is set in Miami, and this is, uh, they are, as we say now, th- this team looks like Miami. This is a nice diversity representation. So, you have Dom DeLuise, who is your chubby ethnic New York City transplant. Um, also, we should delve into heavy gay vibes, as always, and... Uh, <laughs> Michael Musto wrote uh, an entire memor- memorial piece in 2009 when uh, Dom DeLuise died, uh, just titled "Dom DeLuise Gay?" Question <laughs> mark. Yeah. And he beat
3: he beat the he beat the Atlantic City rap. Yeah. too. Yeah. I guess that that never yeah. stuck uh, when he was a, he was a, accused a, of groping a, groping a was it a hotel or? employee? Yeah, yeah. Hotel.
1: yeah, something like that. Yeah. I am, however, in the light of this, I was highly intrigued by the title of a 1974 TV movie he was in called "Only with Married Men." So, <laughs>
2: uh, who uh, who is Dom DeLuise's? Who did he have those two kids with that are in this movie? His wife in the movie bro- is his wife. He's
3: three. He's got three kids. Oh, that kids. is yeah.
2: But they're all blonde. Yeah. in the in their early days. What's that about? I don't know his 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 <laughs> wife he's, uh, Caprese,
1: is Northern Italian. Yeah. <laughs>
2: His wife is, plays his
3: wife in the movie, and she goes by Carol Deloys in the credits, but she's also goes by the professional name Carol Arthur, and she's one of the townspeople in Blazing Saddles, uh, right. too. She's the right. one they think we
2: can't hear you. That one. <laughs> so then we have. So we don't. So we still don't. Hang on, we still don't really know how it is that Deloys came to direct this project, right? They just. You, I mean, it doesn't seem to have been a passion project or anything for him. He doesn't really seem like he's trying to. Become a director. It just seemed like something that fell in his lap. Like they were like, we don't know who else to direct it. Why? Don't I would you do imagine
1: it? that's it. You know, uh, Gene Wilder had tried it twice at that point, so you know it was time. Marty
3: Feldman had done one. Uh, right. What
1: okay. did he do? In God was We just Trust. It the thing to do. Uh, in God We Trust
3: is after, but that he had was done later, the, yeah. the last remake of Bo Jest Oh in yes, 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 yes. Which yes, I did I see it at the theater.
1: I saw that on the NBC Sunday Late Movie once.
3: <laughs> nah. Nah, ever, after After Silent Movie, it was all Mel Brooks all the time for me, right. which is a, 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 you know again kind of surprising to myself why I didn't go to see Hot Stuff. But I was thinking, I, I I think I was definitely watching Siskel and Ebert every week at that point, and 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 they they both gave it a a no that week. Although Roger was was kinder to it than yeah. Gene, but we can talk about that later. Yeah. But, but, yeah, go ahead.
1: The second key, I'm saying, like, so this is another Miami demographic. Jerry Reed, who is your shit kicker, redneck, looks like a Molly Hatchet roadie, Um, (laughs) can't stop smoking. He and Suzanne Plaget, the cigarette budget on this movie was insane. Uh, And they both died of smoking-related illnesses. (laughs) I want to note here. So then we have uh, Luis Avalos who was uh, Cuban born in real life, and immediately when you see him, what do you say? Hey, There's you the guy guys. from the electrical company. Yeah, there you go. I just said the electrical company. The guy from the electric company. <laughs> His other big movie of note uh, is Sherman Hemsley's personally ruinous Ghost Fever, Ghost Fever. from I've 1987.
3: Only, I've only seen the trailer, but I love it.
1: Oh, I've seen the film on HBO. I, I attempted to convince my... Uh, college roommate at the time, Springo, to go see it in the theater, and he wouldn't go. So, And then we have uh, Suzanne... But he's also
2: in... Louis yeah. Savalos is also in Stir Crazy All right. and Hollywood yeah. Homicide. Yeah. So. No, he's in, he's in I, a bunch, I, I, a bunch of 373? He's personally my favorite... Uh, of the four, in oh, this, he's in this easily movie, the most likable. I
3: feel terrible oh, yeah. when he gets chased off by the dog at the end. They're like, "Oh, I, I was going to say
2: know. that." That's such an
1: obnoxious joke. So cruel and there. unnecessary. And you know, and in times like these, like
2: you really can't even pretend to enjoy such a thing. Yeah. Um, and I realize this is not a this is not proper for me to say, but I really think of him as sort of like Hector Elizondo with less of an edge.
1: I would agree with that. Sure. Yeah, I think yeah. that's fair. Yeah. Okay, he's a softer, uh, yeah. Because Hector is always, he's always got always one, got little, he's got ooh. one eyebrow cocked, and he's not uh, going to suffer your foolishness. Right. Yeah. Uh, whereas Louis is just, you know, he's cool. Uh, so then we have Suzanne Plachet, <laughs> yeah. who's sort of the glamour queen. Um, a, she looks great, I amazing. Think she looks it looks great, like yeah. Aubrey Plaza with the eye makeup and everything. Um, found out today she grew, grew up in Brooklyn Heights, Ben. I didn't know this.
2: Yeah. Her father managed and let's the not, Paramount. Theater. Have we mentioned? Have we mentioned that Dom is a
4: also a Brooklyn boy? Brooklyn well? boy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. So, so he's Italian. She's Jewish. That's who moves to Miami at some point in their life from Brooklyn. <laughs>
4: uh-huh.
1: um, and then, of course, the great Ossie Davis is the police captain. And I just always love to look at Ossie Davis. I especially love him in, in comedies. I think he is one of the best. Just without even saying anything, can be very, very funny. Who, he's wonderful
2: through. And through, but through incoherent plotting that I can't even begin to fathom, he winds up impersonating the Godfather at the end of this movie. <laughs> it's
3: like it's like they want to they want to show that they're organized somehow, and right. and he's like their figurehead. By Ossie Davis casting, uh, you feel the hand of Burt Reynolds again because they go back sure. to Sam Whiskey, and mm-hmm. I think there's another collaboration even before Hot Stuff. So you know maybe the script at some point was a was handed to Reynolds, and he gave it to Dom and said, Hey, Dom, you want to direct?
1: Hey, look at this. Well, you think about that, Reynolds, uh, he might have been great had had this been like a real movie a few years earlier. It might have been really, really good.
2: Yeah, a little more star-powered, that's for sure. Well, I think about movies like Fuzz, uh, the Ed McBain thing, which I suppose they might have been thinking of a little bit when they made this, but doesn't come anywhere near... No no. It's not that kind of there's nothing sharp or like, you know, edgy about no. the comedy the way there is in that and 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 this is this seems to come from this much ge- kind of and the, actually the thing I like most about this is how low stakes it is. Uh other than the occasional like insane gunfight with explosions <laughs> yeah. and stuff, there really is nothing there's nothing going on in this movie that even comes close to real violence. There's no blood, no, there's no, no it, it's it would seem like gauche for them to even but you know, but it took me a while to like sort of relax and say oh that kind of there is not going to any nobody's going to get killed in this right. movie i mean and maybe that maybe the moment that occurred to me is when the three gang members bust into the pawn shop and and the one guy immediately like takes dead aim at them and shoots them with a shotgun and <laughs> nobody is even yeah. Yeah, right <laughs> right um it's,
3: it's very cartoony it's very you know, you know pure comedy um
1: yeah, so, I mean, it's also structured, essentially, like a like a TV variety, like a sketch show.
2: Yes, very uh, much.
1: Because, basically, what it is, is these cops, uh, they boot out Sidney Lassick as Jaime, the pawn shop owner, tell him to go visit his aunt in Baltimore, and um, then we just meet a series of colorful crooks who come in to sell stolen goods, and they all do their shtick while Suzanne Plachette smokes and videotapes them.
2: Yeah, and a lot of them are question- TV comics and... Yeah, I really question the, the amount of colorfulness because there really is – I, this is the thing that Ebert talks about and I think Canby does too in the reviews of like it's fun to just sit back and watch this parade of all these yeah. eccentric crook characters come in. But honestly, most of them just have nothing. They, they do nothing. nothing. I to agree the with you. I, I,
1: yeah. I misused the, the term colorful. I, I should have thrown <laughs> some air quotes around it.
2: Although there is some color in that first scene where that the black guy comes in and his eyes are literally <laughs> popping out of his head, I try to find That's his the, name. There's the one scene, Matthew Birch. Yeah. Oh,
1: thanks, thanks. Who's thanks.
3: who's also in the Florida shot caddy shack?
1: Yes, yes, yes. yes it's yes.
3: the same reaction shot. Yeah. Uh, when uh, a boat flies over, that was it,
2: his so thing. Yeah. Well, well, I'll just point out that in the same early establishing scene in this movie in the pawn shop, we learn that the shop keeps name is Jaime right <laughs> and then we have this black character who is like right out of a step and fetch it Willie best moreland yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh but luckily the, the, the film doesn't proceed right. along those lines for right. <laughs> very long so uh well again maybe it does I don't well really know. if you're offended by mobster
1: stereotypes perhaps because then the mob is threatening everybody and it all just kind of you know, and and really, I agree with you. They're so dull. The people that come in, there is the bizarre child that comes in with the dog that he stole.
3: Well, that's pathos, right? That's like yes, the, yes. That's the yes. chaplain moment, right?
2: Yes, yes. That's a highlight for me. What actually, made me mad
1: <laughs> though the was the so the kid comes in. He says, "I want to buy food for my baby sister." They all start bawling. They give him money, and they didn't tell him to return the stolen dog, though. I was worried about that dog. Well, yeah. it was his dog.
2: I think, isn't he it? Said said he said he it. stole it. Yeah. To, to buy get food oh,
4: okay. for his baby sister. His
1: baby sister, yeah. Oh. yeah, Because his mom's at the bar. No, no, no. That would have made sense. If he said, I got to sell my dog to feed my sister, then, yeah. oh, please. But, yeah, not so much okay. as a, you know, go give that dog back, Sonny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's speaking of... Uh,
3: Chaplin shit, which was what Dean Martin said of uh, Jerry's performance in Three Ring Circus. Uh, this is <laughs> this movie reminds me of what Jerry Lewis is doing in The Bellboy, which is his first movie as director, also filmed in Miami. Uh, where he set out and and it's it's the thing that they, they actually say on all the trailers and the ads for The Bellboy. It's, it's a series of silly sequences I think Dom was looking for something where he didn't have to worry about keeping the plot together and, uh, you know, and just wanted to do, just have a bunch of skits where he could invite all these funny actors in and let his kids in there and his wife and, you know, and, and, and do, you know, one bit after another. And that's really all the movie is. And probably
1: hang out in
2: Miami during the winter when they were shooting it. Yeah, exactly.
4: Yeah.
2: But I, I think the most unfortunate thing is that Delouise as a performer is usually reliably yeah. funny as we saw in Sex yes, Chat great. Sex Chat and as right. I and and I think he really gives a wonderful performance in Fatso yeah. and it's just usually the funniest part of any of those Burt Reynolds movies but it, I I think this is one of his least interesting performances and certainly least funny like I he doesn't give himself anything to really well, do Well the pot in scene movie. that's yeah. Oh, yeah. That is good. Yeah. Sure. It was okay. It was just laughing
1: because he smoked pot. He bought this, you know, eccentric <laughs> British couple that looked like they came off a yacht coming to sell their shit, as they call oh, it. But just as in just yeah. as
2: in Fatso, where he does an impressive amount of crying, he does an impressive amount of laughing. That's right. He, he, <laughs> yeah. he really brings the laugh. <laughs> he does. Very true. The uh, the laugh the uh, the
3: the dastardly and mutley mutley laugh the the yeah. wheezy.
1: Oh, there's a hell of a wheeze. I was worried about his health at one point in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Well, well, What is Dom DeLuise's, like, what's the, what's the, what's the persona? I mean, I, I, I thought of him as kind of like, the 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 funny fat man that everybody needs, who kind of filled the gap between Jackie Gleason and John Candy for a for a few
2: years. Well, what I thought of watching these two movies was, God, I wish that they had cast him in that Abbott and Costello uh, biopic oh, yeah, instead of yeah. uh, instead yeah. of uh, what's his name, Buddy Hackett, Yeah. instead of Buddy Hackett. He's he, I think he would have done a really nice Lou Costello, and I, think I that agree. He, yeah, that, the, that his.
3: Yeah, I thought I wrote that down too. Lou, Lou Costello and a little bit of Joe Besser too. Like he's sure. he's he's that's both it. Those guys.
1: It's Joe Besser because there's the effete quality. to yes,
2: it. Yes, right. But that dude who plays Jaime is total Joe Besser. Well, that's Sidney Lassick, yeah, who's yeah. Uh,
1: amazing. He was in Partners for one scene. Yes, he was, yes. He has a hell of a resume. And uh, if we want, we could sidetrack here or later. We can go through and just rattle off his standout titles. Well, you, you look Let's at him and now. you say
3: Charlie Charlie Cheswick, right? That's the big Yes,
1: one. Charlie Cheswick, that's his signature role from uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, my favorite Sidney Lassick role is as Charlie P. in Sunny Boy. Have you ever seen that
4: movie?
1: No. Okay. I'm going to recommend right now everybody has to watch Sunny Boy. Uh, made by one of the residents, the San Francisco Performance Troupe. Um, sort of a horror movie, sort of an action movie. Brad Dorif, Conrad Janis, Sidney Lassick, and... David Carradine in drag as Mama Rose, and they live in a weird desert compound, and they uh, they kill a couple in a hotel room robbing uh, robbing them. Don't realize they have a baby, so they raise the baby as an animal to do their bidding. Sonny Boy. It is completely <laughs> amazing. And Sidney Lassick is the tough guy. like He's the leader. He's the father of this weird family. <laughs> And the wow. backstory, because I saw it at midnight with the director and Conrad Janice, who had a weird, crazy, long hippie ponytail. This <laughs> was like 15 years ago. Um, he said the backstory he imagined was that they met in prison. And uh, they, they were a couple in prison with, with Mama Rose. David Carradine was the wife. And they just carried on outside the prison. But that's, that's fantastic. And what makes me upset is that movie played on 42nd Street. Uh, one night I was going with our friend Alan Broadman. And we were almost going to go to see that, but instead we went to see this piece of shit Stephen King movie uh, with the, the rats, Graveyard Shift, I think it was called, or some some crap like that. But anyway. You've got
2: a lot of stories where Alan decides you're going to go see the wrong movie. That's true.
1: <laughs> That's true. But uh, no, 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 this was actually my call at the last minute. But had, had I known, but we, we no, actually I'll say this, Alan pushed for this. Because he kept saying, I think that's David Carrion wearing a dress on the post. <laughs> so he was right. He was. He's always right. Uh, well, so, okay. Cinderella and the Golden Bra from 1964. Cinderella with an S, uh, which I have seen. That's a Something Weird video classic. Uh, he plays the fairy godfather in that. The Happy Hooker Goes to Hollywood, which is an all-star comedy that we're going to do on Crackpot Cinema. The Billion Dollar Hobo with Tim Conway. Uh, A movie that's structurally similar to this, Skate Town USA, which is essentially Mm -hmm. a variety show. Yep. Um, Alligator. The Unseen, a horror film with Stephen First and Barbara Bach. Which I have seen, which sounds, when you were describing Sonny
3: Boy, it sounds like there's a little bit of of, uh, Sonny Boy in there, too, where they've got Stephen First as the... Sydney, Sydney, the the offspring of Sidney Lassick and his sister, right? Yes, in the film? yes. Yes. And he's in the basement, and Barbara he's Bach the monster. Gets, yes. Gets yeah. trapped in the basement.
1: Yeah. Uh, History of the World, Part One. So that was a movie I saw at twelve, at the Georgetown uh, Twin. It almost killed me with laughter. Me too. And then having seen it since then, I don't laugh once.
3: <laughs> oh, I'm a, I'm I'm still a fan. Yeah, uh, spaceballs. I never really liked. No, spaceballs.
1: But, I hated on first sight, and Ben warned me about that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, H- history of
3: listen. the World. Uh, I'm, I'm still a fan of. I'm going to revisit.
1: I'm going to revisit.
3: Also with uh, with Hot Stuff alums, uh, Pat McCormick and Don yes. Deluise. Right. Well,
1: we'll get to Pat McCormick for sure. Yes. Okay. Uh, Pandemonium, which was the uh, horror parody, very popular. Thursday the twelfth. Thursday the twelfth, right? Paul Rubens and Tommy Swans. Fast Walking with Jimmy Woods, movie I love. Partners, Silent Madness, a movie that uh, makes me crazy because I I dine to see it in 3D and uh, never have. Night Patrol, the Police Academy knockoff by Jackie Kong, which I think is a riot. (laughs) Rat Boy, do you remember this movie, the Sandra Locke-directed movie about Eugene, the boy with the rat face? Yeah, Used to show that on Channel 11 in New York. And Body Slam, which is uh, one of those wrestling movies that I didn't see. So, any thoughts on Sidney Lassick, Ben? I
2: just think he's great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he's a highlight of this movie, and, um, you know, there's no reason for him to come back at the end, but I'm glad that he does. <laughs> yeah. Um, walks right out again.
1: Yeah. So then, what? yes, one of the crooks, of course, is Pat McCormick, who was the head writer on The Tonight Show for many years, was Big Enos in the Smoking the Bandit films. Um, as a child, I never, I could never warm up to Pat McCormick. He, he, no part of him seemed lovable to me.
3: <laughs> right. It's, it's very. He comes on and it's, you know, he's picking on Luis, and it's uh, yeah. very, it's very roasty kind of yes. jokes. What did you think of him in the movie? Did you, did you laugh at him?
1: Oh, now I did. I appreciate because now I like when he come, He comes on. He does a bunch of dumb like sight gags and stuff. Yeah. He knocks over a bowl of oranges. He goes, looks a naval disaster.
3: Yeah, I'm pretty sure Little Orphan Annie in Florida made it onto the trailer of the. That
1: film. was great. Yeah. I remember
3: seeing that before I saw the yeah. movie.
1: But uh, I mean, and and his filmography we can run through The Finks, which is unwatchable. But as much as I try, are you familiar with that one?
3: Never yeah. seen it, but I know about yeah. it. Yeah, that's the one with um, Colonel Sanders, right? And yes, else. I mean that's uh,
1: Johnny Weissmuller, the Bowery yeah. Boys. Yeah, I mean everybody is in there. Dick Clark. Um, if You Don't Stop It, You'll Go Blind, which is one of the dirty joke movies, and the sequel, Can I Do It Till I Need Glasses.
3: Oh, I didn't know he was in those.
1: One of uh, those,
2: if, if not both, I think are on Prime right now. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, we got to watch that shit. <laughs> uh, my
1: friend Aaron Lee can sing the theme song to Can I Do It Till I Need Glasses. Um, Buffalo Bill and the Indians and A Wedding, so two Altman films. The Shaggy DA, movie I saw twice in the theater.
2: Suzanne Plichette's in that one too. That's
1: right. Oh yes. Good call. Yeah. Uh Scavenger Hunt from seventy nine. Um isn't
3: in Scavenger Hunt, is he? That's uh, James Coco's. You know,
1: yes. Uh, you know what? I don't know why I, I don't remember. Yeah, I'm mixing that up. They're right. both
3: James Coco and Deloise are both in the cheap detective.
1: Right.
2: Yes. But
3: but Coco is in Scavenger Hunt and not Deloise, I think.
2: I saw some movie in the village once. I think it was Kiss of the Spider Woman, but I don't know why. I think that's what it was. But I know it was at the Waverly, and James Coco was sitting uh, in the row in front of me. There you go. Well, how about that? was my brush with fame.
1: (laughs) When he stood up, did he hold his pants out to show how much weight he looked? (laughs) Yes. He spent the whole 80s doing (laughs) that?
4: Yes.
1: He used to be a size sixty. Now I'm a size 49. Um, the Gong Show movie, which I kind of love. Always been a fan. Uh, Under the Rainbow.
3: Yeah, he has a pretty big part in Under the Rainbow. Yes.
1: Um, Doing right. Time with uh, Jeff Altman, Richard Mulligan, and Muhammad Ali, which is a prison comedy with a lot of L.A. comics. I'm fascinated by that. There would, Throughout the 80s, there would be these comedies that would just show up in theaters, and that was one of them. Uh, rented Lips, the Robert Downey movie, which is terrible with Martin Mull. Where, honest to God, like w- the the big joke of that is that they're making a musical about Hitler. I's like like, uh, mm. Robert, where were you? <laughs> oh, oh, that's right, high out of your mind on acid and every other drug you, get, you know, in circa sixty eight. Yeah, and then Beverly Hills Vamp with Eddie Deason from
3: nineteen eighty eight. So, oh, Eddie Deason. Well, speaking of uh, musicals about Hitler, there's a cast member of the uh, original Springtime for Hitler cast in Hot Stuff, Barney Martin.
1: Oh, yes. Seinfeld's dad. Seinfeld's dad is the dad crooked and, cop, yeah.
3: And Liza Minnelli's dad from Arthur, also. Oh, the,
2: oh I always forget that, yeah. Yeah. Terrific can in I, both those roles, yes. Can I ask you guys, because I could never. I ultimately couldn't figure this out before Showtime today. The person who I think gives the most committed and most interesting performance in this whole movie is the main guy who's trying to sell them machine yep. guns. Richard Davalos. <laughs> Richard
3: uh, Davalos was a uh, was a, I think, uh, like an actor, studio train guy. He is James Dean's brother in East of Eden. He's Aaron. Oh, son of a
1: bitch. Wow.
3: He's Aaron, and James Dean is Cal. And I agree with you, Ben. He's he's so strong. So funny and plays it so straight. I mean, his big moment is recreating, you know, Cody Jarrett at the end of White Heat. Yes, but he yeah. but he's committed to it. He does yes. he does the full orgasmic, you know, top of the world explosive yeah. reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And and his I think he's great. And his his banter is with uh, the his uh, Alfie Wise, who's like a part of the Needham Reynolds Stock Company, the okay. little guy. Uh-huh. Is he a stunt man, the little guy? He I, he might have started off as a stunt man, but he's like in Gator and Smokey and the Bandit. Right. T- or I would
4: guess he Ron. is a
1: stunt man, like because uh, I saw Wee Man from Jackass once talking to kids about being a stunt man, where
2: he plays kids a lot in movies. Well, so, here's. Yeah. Here's an example speaking of we men of the sort of unbelievable half-assedness of this whole movie and that's so half-assed that it's almost charming it's like they spend the time they get a they get a little person to arrive on the scene and the joke that they come up with to do is that they both grab him and they lift him up high enough so that the yeah. video camera can catch him and that's it that's like that's yeah. that's where they stop they're like okay we got it
1: well, well, then he, beats the, they, he punches somebody in the balls later. Yeah.
3: And, when they, yeah. and when they send him into the party, they go, we'll be with you shortly.
1: Yeah, oh, that, right. <laughs> Another great line. <laughs> yeah, and then, right, it ends with a a wild party where they're going to bust everybody. The mob shows up. There's a crazy big, you know, Western saloon-style bar fight. And uh, the mob is defeated, and the crooks are all good-natured. and they the, say, it's okay you're arresting us. They're going to cut us loose, and we love you anyway. So, The main Hot mob, stuff.
3: Don, by the way, played by Mark Lawrence, who goes back to the 30s, is a Cobby in the Asphalt Jungle and plays the exact same role he plays in Hot Stuff in another shot in Miami farce, uh, Super Fuzz.
1: Yes. Not a, now, that is a movie I've never seen. Uh, oh. It is an insane cult film beloved by a generation of kids that grew up with it on HBO.
3: Very important film uh, for me in that I saw it over and over again and never liked it, always kind of, you know, so bad it's good, watched it. which, right. But then have, have, now I've kind of come around to say, no, there's something about this that's actually good that, that allows you to watch it over and over again. Right, And directed by uh, Sergio Corbucci, who made a
1: lot of great spaghetti yeah. westerns. Yeah. Um, it always but, looks ugly and headache-inducing to me. Yeah, <laughs> it,
3: it, it, it is. Uh, it definitely is. But anyway, I just wanted to point out, filmed in Miami and Mark Lawrence yeah. playing the exact same part in yes, Superfoods. So a
1: couple other interesting Mark Lawrence. He was in Diamonds Are Forever and The Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah. Uh, pigs, the horror film. Where he plays Zambrini, the farmer who helps the woman who is killing people and feeding them to hurt his pig. He directed Pigs. Oh, well, I shut my mouth. Holy yeah. moly, I blew I, that
2: bit of research. That's
3: crazy. I need to catch up with it. I, it's, I know it's on Prime right
2: now. Does he play the same character in those two James Bond movies? Or no. Oh. No, two different characters, yeah.
1: Oh. Uh, Marathon Man, Foul Play, Going Coconuts with Donnie and Marie. Uh, you can't and see ni- Going
3: Coconuts anymore. Where, where is Going Coconuts? How do I find it? It's not coconuts? on YouTube? I don't know. Maybe I should look it up. I think I, it's
1: on YouTube because I've, okay. I've I've thrown that on in the back. I'm a huge fan of the theme song On the Shelf from Going Coconuts. So the okay. sensual disco song. All right, I'm going to look you for it You took later. my love and you had my love and you just put it away. You took it away. Um, <laughs> and then Night Train to Terror, which is an anthology movie that I saw on 42nd Street by myself after school one day. And could not believe, like, I had not done acid at that point, but I really was like, did I take acid? I I was, like, turning to other derelicts in the theater, like, is this real? Are we watching this? That's about God and the devil on a train debating the fate of mankind, as they do in the story of mankind, the Irwin Allen film. (laughs) And at one point in the movie, out of nowhere, it turns into claymation. And there's a preppy rock band really angry with breakdancing that sings this song. Everybody's got something to do. And then they look in the camera and go, everybody but you. And that sets up the next scene. And I remember Michael Weldon in Psychotronic Magazine said, that's a mean message to send to people who are watching this movie. <laughs> what's,
2: my, Jim, what's the movie we showed at the festival a couple of years ago? Well, we
3: showed them both. Uh, we oh. showed Night Trade to Terror in 2011. But Tr- Night Train to Terror, if I remember right, the segments, the anthologies, are are condensed versions of other feature films. Yes, at least one was an
1: entire feature film. Yeah,
3: right. And one of the one that was an entire feature film, which we also showed at our festival, was called Death Wish Club. Oh yeah, wow. and right. and and was written by the celebrated uh, screenwriter, controversial too, uh, named Philip Yordan, who wrote. You know, all those Samuel Bronston epics and a number of dra- famous dramas and, and noirs in the 40s and 50s. Like uh, Mark Lawrence, he was a friendly witness for Hueck. They I both named names. But unlike Mark Lawrence, he was not blacklisted. Jordan was not blacklisted, but Lawrence was. Lawrence named names and then got blacklisted. And then it had to be in Hot Stuff. Hot Stuff and super fuzz back-to-back.
4: Yeah, back. yeah, yeah.
1: So, um, oh, now this was important to me. During the big, crazy fight, there's a big dude, Belushi-looking guy. He, like, takes a bunch of body blows like they're nothing. And then says something like, don't hit me. His name, the character's name is Gay Thief. He is played by John DeSantis, who is the star of a, a very important film in the teen movie Hell Universe, King Frat. He plays JJ ah. Grossout Grumbowski.
2: Wow, I've seen him a range, on the trailer. That guy.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, we all, we see him earlier in the scene dancing with his partner.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yes. So. Um, I kinda have nothing else to say about the movie itself. Do you? Oh, no, but I wanna I I wanna There's say, more to say, but yeah. Oh,
3: yeah, I guess I wanna talk about Delawese for a minute. I mean we you know, his what his persona was. But I think in terms of history, like this is like the this is certainly the height for him, right? It's between it's it's you know, he directed the film, it's he's part of an ensemble, but then he's he's doing Fatso next. That's his that's a you know, a leading man role. And then it's like it's almost over for him, I think, in terms of his kind of relevance and star profile. You know, one of the things that I've always heard about him, uh, and and not just him, but the whole Mel Brooks company, was that when uh, the Zuckers were going to do Airplane, they were originally given a, a budget to do it by American International. But they wanted they insisted that they cast it not with straight actors like leslie nielsen and lloyd bridges and robert Mm -hmm. stack but with 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 comedians like do it mel brookston no we want harvey corman we want dom delouise right and they said no and to me that's like that's like the beginning of you know not the end for delouise but in terms certainly in terms of his profile going down and and mike it's like you say he's a he's i think he's a He's a very 70s personality. And like you say, Mike, the, the 70s really end in the summer of 82. And the, yeah. last, the last thing he does, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, there's Pizza the Hut, but, you know, whatever that is. But <laughs> the, the last thing he does that I think is that Deluise does it is of any, like, real relevance and kind of furthering to his image and career is Best Little Whorehouse in Texas.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Um,
3: which he, I think he's fun in.
1: I think he's um, great and he never like he never got praised for it in any of the reviews and kind yeah. of people forget that he's in it and Ch- Charles Durning stole all of this. Yeah, he did for sure, movies. yeah. He was nominated for an Oscar. And that's a movie I really do love. I watched that many times. That is my go-to comfort film. I, I have know. never seen what that movie. Say. I need to watch oh, that. Movie. I love it.
3: Yeah. That's yeah, like the that so like 82 is like the end of the road for the kind of you know all those Mel Brooks gang superstars you know marty feldman's yeah. done is you know dies that year Dead. yeah um uh you know madeline Kahn is able to do different things but like uh DeLuise, end of the road uh history of the world's come out and you know the next film is Spaceballs. you had to wait seven years for yeah. that and i don't know i think like that whole that whole kind of style of comedy yeah you know, kind of goes away.
1: And, I mean, I would think that probably the last, very last gasp would be Haunted Honeymoon from 1986.
3: Yeah, which was a total flop and a terrible yeah. movie. And Domsen yeah. dragged that whole movie. And no, yeah. you know, nobody, I was working at a movie theater as an usher when that came out. And nobody was
2: laughing at that film. <laughs> I, right. I remember, I was like, I who is this for? Nobody's going to want to see this. Yeah. 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 But I do think that, you know, that Hot Stuff. Not that it has a legacy, but it's certainly... I I mean, I certainly feel like Hot Stuff is more of a piece with what happened with mainstream Hollywood comedies going forward and through today. The sort of half-assed... Nobody really bothering to work on any real jokes, and um, right, yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Whereas the next year, when he does Fatso, that movie feels like a complete throwback to early seventies comedies, like yeah. where, Where's Papa, and you know, very, very, very dark, almost like is this even a comedy? Like I don't know. Fatso really rides a, a, a very thin line between comedy and tragedy. Well, that's what that's
1: what really shocked me when I saw it. Because I expected it to be this over the top fat joke festival, yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's kind of sad. It's, it's kind of yeah. sad that it's that very movie sad. got. Yeah, but yeah. it's kind of sad that that movie got the reception that it got, and then Anne Bancroft, yeah. Ann Bancroft yeah. never did anything else. Um, but, I but remember
4: it,
3: that the word bittersweet being used by critics a lot when it came yes. out.
2: But it's interesting to think of both of these performers, Anne Bancroft and and Dom DeLuise, getting there. Solo uh, directorial shots within a year of each other, and being both both having involvement with hers, um, and the difference between those two films.
3: Well, she makes an she makes a a film that's autobiographical. Well, maybe I don't know if it's autobiographical, but it's oturis. It comes from her experience of growing up in an Italian American New York family. Uh, It's you know it's not trying to be a genre film. It's like it's tragedy. It's comedy. It's all these things. And Dom DeLuise, as far as I'm concerned, is making a Hal Needham movie with hot yeah, stuff. I would agree with that. Yeah. And and it's uh, you know, and Hal Needham's named in the end credits. He gives special thanks to Hal Needham and Margaret Booth. Do you guys know who Margaret Booth was? No. So Margaret Booth was like one of these grand dams of editing. She was mm. she was the final cut person at MGM from like the end of the silent era through the '50s. And then you know, so any any studio film that was completed went through her hands. She was like, you know, the the, the, the final cut person at the studio. And then she right. has a very close relationship with John Huston, and John Huston has relationships with Ray Stark, and uh, Hot Stuff is a Ray Stark Rastar production. Right. And so Margaret Booth becomes like the house consultant, final cut editor on all the Ray Stark productions. Hmm. And so, what we have in hot stuff is the, you know, let it all hang out, keep it loose style comedy of Hal Needham, with what if whatever sense it makes and whatever form it has, I'm sure comes from Margaret Booth, even though there's a, the credited editor on the film is Neil Travis, who's a pretty accomplished guy, um, and it's you know, and it's just it, it's it's it probably as far as I'm concerned, it makes more sense than. The Smoky and the Bandit films and the and the uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and the Cannonball Run movies, especially Cannonball Run Two. Sure. Well, I remember Mike. Maybe you remember. Yeah. There was there's a Siskel and Ebert, and one of them, and I'm pretty sure it was Gene Siskel, where they're viewing, a, you know one of the later Hal Needham films, either Stroker Race or Cannonball Run Two.
4: Right.
3: And they and they sum it up by saying that you know watching these Burt Reynolds Hal Needham movies is like watching them get together with all their buddies and have a party where we're all invited. And then I'm pretty sure Gene Siskel takes a pause then and says something, you know, mean like, well, I'm not having a good time and I'm going home and, and I wish the party was over or something like that. You know, that's,
1: and I it, mean, it, I don't remember that specifically, but that is perfectly Siskel. Yeah,
3: and I gotta say, I always felt that way about these movies. I'm a little more tolerant of them now, and I think Hooper is the best of them all. But
1: Hooper's I, terrific. Yeah. yeah, and it seems it seems out of place with the rest of them. And I agree with the Cannonball Run movies, particularly the bloopers at the end where they're like hugging and kissing. They're doing the uh. full Sammy Maudlin. I was like, give me a fucking break, you phonies! Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. this is not well, that fun for all cracking each other up. And yeah, yeah. you're just drunk. <laughs> yeah, that's
3: right. As far that's as the, right. the the end of the Rat Pack, uh,
2: yeah. As far as that that credit and the editing in this movie, I mean, I think stylistically, this thing just lays there like a dog for most of its running time. But there are a couple of sequences where they actually seems to have they they actually seem to have put some thought into to the editing. There's a there's kind of like a bunch of jump cuts when they're first setting up the video camera and they're first testing it out. Like they, there's some nice moves from one scene to another where you go, oh okay there's been a time jump here and I didn't realize that at first and I'm like, Oh wow somebody's actually in the editing room playing around with this. So
3: could be could be the editing that could also be I also felt I know the scenes you're talking about, I felt a little bit of the hand of Westlake in those scenes too, mm-hmm. where yeah. you know he's very much about
2: procedural and,
3: you know, and finding comedy right. within police procedural and and that you know that might have been some of his leftover stuff too. Yeah.
2: You know? I think Pluschette's got her 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 funniest bit of business when she uh, puts the uh, the white tape on the floor for them to stand in their position so they're not blocking the camera and then they immediately go back to blocking the camera and she sort of wordlessly storms out of her like hidey hole and goes yeah. out and moves them and just gives them a glare. It's a nice nice scene. It's
3: definitely yes. her best moment.
1: So speaking of reviews, we, I, I did watch the Siskel and Ebert episode oh. containing me, this. Did you guys?
3: Me too. It was particularly yeah. good one, wasn't it?
1: It really was. I mean, the, so the, the lineup was at Summer 79. Meatballs, Sunburn, Americathon, and Airport 79. Mm-hmm. I've,
3: never seen, I've never seen Sunburn. I've got to get around to that one. I know, oh,
1: I saw that in the theater. I wasn't going to miss wow. Farrah Fawcett. I remember and... the tagline. Roger tag liked line. it. The tagline was, a, pri- a classy chick, a private dick, and an old guy named Al.
4: <laughs> that was the thing. Who was uh, Art Carney, right?
1: Art Carney, mm-hmm. who was in the background, was parachuting down onto the beach. <laughs> it was Grodin in a tux, Farrah in a sexy scuba outfit. Um, I did see Airport 79 on TV because I saw Sylvia Crystal was in it. And I was like, oh, maybe this is the night, you know, we always talk about this. In the oh, 70s, that's the, like, that's the, the quote in the
3: Concord, but that's the Sylvia Crystal-George Kennedy exchanges and Golden Turkey
2: Awards, isn't it? The, that's right, the
1: cockpit. They don't call yeah, it a cockpit They don't call it nothing. a cockpit for nothing.
2: <laughs> I know I saw so, I uh, Air- Airport 75 and Airport 77 in theaters. I don't know if I went to 79. I might have.
1: I never saw 77. That was the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, I wanted to good, desperately.
2: Yeah.
3: I saw 77 yeah. at the drive-in uh, second half of the bill with foul play. Wow. In the summer a, of 78. There's a summer night, man. Yeah. And the long, the longest yard w- and Greece was a double feature on the next screen. So I, I kept turning around and looking at the longest yard.
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll tell you a fascinating fact about King Frat. <laughs> oh. oh, <laughs> to yeah. go back to John DeSantis. You mentioned Greece at a driving. So So um, I like to show P- – King- so King Frat is uh, – The way I describe it, when I was a child, I was obsessed with Animal House. I was absolutely, I was nine years old when it came out. I was forbidden to see it. I wanted to know everything about it. What I imagined Animal House to be was like an orgy of like berserk sexuality, vomiting, violence, body fluids, animal sex. I mean, just like nonstop carnage, Caligula-esque insanity. Of course, it's not that. When I finally saw it on NBC, I was like, oh, my God, this is like a regular movie. I mean, I loved it, but still. King Frat is the movie that I pictured <laughs> Animal House to be in in 1979. Having just seen it last year at the Mahoning Drive-In as part of the teen movie Hell Weekend, I sat with Aaron Lee, and he turned to me and said, I really might throw up. <laughs> and I said, this truly is like a Pasolini film. This is this is a real challenge. It's uh I mean hilariously funny, but but anyway, um
3: The solo of Animal House rip very
1: much. And so I, I like to show it to people. I showed it to my friend Dave Barkle, um, who couldn't believe his eyes at one point, and then he went home, it was like Father's Day weekend or something, and uh he was just talking. He said, My friend Mike showed me the most insane movie. Because it's like Animal House, but it all centers on a big fart contest that's held in a movie theater, and there's two of them. And his mother goes, "Your father and I saw that at the drive-in." <laughs> wow. So I was like, "Could this wow. be?" So it turns out when Grease was re-released in 1979, it went out with King Frat to drive-ins. Wow! As the double as the bottom half of the bill. Yeah. Wow. So. There's, I, I'm happy to tie in all that your Grease not watching experience at the drive-in and <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Barkle seeing King Frat after Grease at the drive-in. Uh,
3: I remember that 79 re-release. I saw it with uh, Heaven Can Wait in my neighborhood theater and uh, I
1: wish I had seen King Frat, I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh-huh. What are you saying
2: about Heaven Can Wait?
1: That's uh, okay. Heaven Can Wait's okay. We got to watch that. I just saw that it's on it's, Amazon Prime. We got to yeah. cover that in this, this film. I haven't seen that since the 80s. All right. The early 80s, I'm sure. So, Do you guys
2: want to hear some of the movies that were playing on August 10th, 1979 in New York City when this thing got released? Yes, please. please. Well, first of all, as I look at the New York Times, of course, the movies were always, the, the movie ads were right next to the Broadway theater ads. So, yes. on Broadway, Death Trap was running with uh, John okay. Cullum, which, by the way, I just want to clear up. I know you and Aaron had this thing about it uh, in uh, on Crackpot, but... I I think it's a stretch to say that people considered Death Traps some sort of fancy high class entertainment operator. It's a very much a goofy Ira Levin kind of you know. Okay, it makes well, I was you, a child. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I no, seen, I saw
3: it. I did I saw too. It in March March of eighty one with Farley
2: Granger. Mm-hmm.
3: Wow. wow. Yeah, and and uh, Marion Seldes, who I think did the entire run of the play as in the Diane Cannon part.
2: By the way. I'm getting to an ad with Farley Granger in it and another live performance. But uh, also on Broadway at the time, Sandy Duncan in Peter Pan. Okay. And Gilda Radner, Radner live from New York. She was doing like a live... Gilda Live. Yeah, Gilda yes. Live. So, as you mentioned, Sunburn was playing. Um, Rich Kids. Has anyone seen
3: Rich was Kids? was coming up the next week... Yeah, I've seen it since, but it was it was on that Siskel and Ebert episode where they reviewed Hot Stuff. It was going to be the next week's. Uh... Oh, yes. Oh, is that Spike? Dog of the that Week?
1: That was the one. they asked the Dog of the Week, yeah. <laughs> yes. Or spot. Said, uh, spot. Sometimes it was Spot. Sometimes it was Sparky. Then it was Stinky the Skunk or Stinker. Right. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, Rocky two was still in theaters. Uh, oh, yeah. Manhattan. Oops.
1: Aroma the Educated Skunk. Sorry, oh. I don't want to disappoint my <laughs> completists
2: there. Yes, Uh, Manhattan was playing in Manhattan. Yes. Uh, La Caja Faux was in its fourth hilarious month. Um, Apocalypse Now was playing. Uh, Moonraker. It must have just opened. Apocalypse Now? Uh, Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was at the Ziegfeld. Um, Moonraker.
1: Crazy to think of that as a summer movie. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Concord Airport 79 Uh, The 12th Smash Week for Alien
1: That was the first R-rated movie I was allowed to see
4: Hmm.
2: I saw my first R-rated
3: film in 79 It was a re-release of Blazing Saddles
2: Alright And here's a movie that we need to pair With um, Semi-Tough When we do that episode If we ever do it Uh, North Dallas 40 Oh yes
1: Yes yes there's your double feature, yeah.
3: Very good film. The second R-rated film I saw was that summer. My mom took my brother and I to see the Frank Langella Dracula. Oh, yes. Is I, that, was that I playing in New York? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I
2: negotiated hard for that one. It was shot <laughs> down. Um, Escape from Alcatraz, the Clint Eastwood movie, was playing. Saw that in the theater. See, me too. Uh, a Little Romance. With also see that's a movie I get confused with Rich Kids is it basically with the rich same kids. movie? I always yeah. mix
1: those up. Yeah,
3: Little I Romance was Little Romance was a was
2: much more higher profile,
3: uh, but Rich Rich Kids is um, a Robert Altman production. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't. I guess I don't think they're. I, I don't think they're brother and sister. I think they're they're like no, they're, young, they're youngsters lovers. in love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, directed by. Robert M. Young, who had made Short Eyes, and uh, later did uh,
1: Alambrista and
2: but isn't a, some other. Isn't thing. a little romance also a young love story? Yeah. yeah,
1: okay, yeah, it is. But it's in it's in is it in Paris or where are they?
2: Yeah, it's it's
1: Europe. Oh, I think they they yeah. go all over Europe. Larry Olivier and uh, Diane right. Lane and Diane French
2: Lane King. and yeah, Thelonious Bernard. Oh wow. Big. Is is Larry Olivier <laughs> playing the same role that he did in Marathon Man in this
4: movie? <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> Boys from Brazil. Yeah. Uh, okay, here's a big one that was out: um, uh, The Amityville Horror.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, the movie that at the last minute saved AIP. AIP, yeah, uh, yeah. That and Love at First Bite did brought in a lot of money
1: at the for the end of the last years of AIP. Yeah. And then do you know what the last AIP production was?
3: Was it was it, was it it one of the De Palma films or was it... Gorp. Gorp was
1: the last official <laughs> the AIP last, release, right? Yes, yes.
3: Gorp. Which you, um, is in teen movie hell. Oh, I'm yeah. Sure un- unwatchable. I hate it. It, it yeah. really is. I agree.
2: Yeah. Uh, the Muppet movie was all over the place. Saw it,
3: saw it four times in 1979. Wow. What about you, Mike? Were you a
1: Muppet movie? Oh, again? I saw it, yeah.
3: I thought I saw it. I thought it was just okay. <laughs> yeah. Dom DeLuise is in it.
1: Yeah. And Mel Brooks. I, I, and I Mel. Mean, I, I liked it and everything, but
2: you know.
3: No, that was a that was a big movie for me. Yeah. Very big.
2: Uh, the In-Laws was all over the place. Okay. Saw that in the theater.
1: Yeah. Saw that too.
2: Loved it. Didn't really understand it, but was laughing throughout it. Uh, Peppermint Soda, a movie we showed not too long ago at Cinematheque. That's right. Dion Curis film? Yeah, French, yeah. Uh, Breaking Away, a movie I probably saw six times in the theaters. In the theater? Yeah.
1: I oh, saw God, it. Remember yes. NBC showed it right after the Oscars? Yeah. In 1980? And, yeah.
3: And it was still in theaters just before that. So I remember right. seeing it seeing it in a theater on a double bill with Norma Ray, right, you know, when the Oscar race was on that yeah. year, and then, uh, and then watching it just a few weeks later when NBC...
2: Mike, yeah, you didn't right. see Breaking Away in a theater that summer? No. Oh my goodness. Nobody took me. Here's a, here's an idea for an episode. I want to do these Steve Tessick movies. Breaking away sure. uh Eyewitness and, yes. and uh, Four Friends.
1: Okay, never saw Four Friends, oh. but Eyewitness is terrific and it's really forgotten. What a good movie that is. Yeah, that's my least Are you gonna
2: throw Garp in there or are you gonna No you, is that an adaptation? That's yeah. an adaptation. Uh, there's other stuff I could throw in, but though you know, even three sounds like too many to talk about. Uh, <laughs> look at look at how long we've talked about freaking hot stuff. <laughs> uh, uh, meatballs started. Meatballs started the same day. Meatballs premiered on August 10th. Wow. Now, meatballs. I probably.
1: Well, no, I have since seen Grease more than that, but at the time, uh, that played. Uh first at the nearby theater, the first-run theater, and then before the summer was over, it was in the Dollar Theater up the block from my grandmother's house on the Jersey Shore. And my friends and I went, like, every night, five nights in a row and sat through it two times. <laughs> wow.
2: Were you a meatballs guy, Jim?
1: Big time. I think
3: I went to see it twice. That
2: was already the, the SNL. I mean, that was the obsession, yeah. Yeah.
3: I couldn't see Animal House because it was rated right. R, but... uh Meatballs came out and then at Christmas 1941 came out and that just which I fucking loved I I loved it too I loved it well plus we went you know knowing Belushi and when you get there Joe Flaherty and John Candy are in it too yeah right away and and in Chicago SCTV was on right after SNL on Saturday night so I was I was already a Already a big fan. And everybody else who's in it, too.
2: Oh, yeah. I saw that many times in the, in the, while it yeah, was Yeah, we're all out. fans, right? Yeah. All three of us, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Eddie Deason. I mean, we don't have to say anything else. That's right.
3: <laughs> all, all, all the I want to hold your hand Yeah Yeah, they're all in yeah. there, right? Yeah. yeah.
4: Just
2: about. Oh, we got to do those movies. We got to do used cars Please. and uh, I want to hold yeah. your hand for sure. Uh, I want to hold your hand. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Americathon was opening that day. Right. Another sketch comedy structured film. Yeah. And I think that's just about it. But I want to I I thought this is where I saw. There were
3: no like Laura Antonelli films. Yes.
2: I'm uh, sorry. There is. Till Marriage Do Us Part was playing. Oh, that's the one. That was the big one because I remember they advertised that on TV.
3: Oh, yeah, that's right. They had TV commercials. And and was what Wife Mistress was before that one. That was another.
2: uh, Yeah. I'm sorry. I do have a couple pages left here. Uh, Bloodline was still playing. Sidney Sheldon. That's the true hot stuff of that summer. Right. Uh, now here's hot stuff. The ad for hot stuff. Do you know what the what their tagline was? Uh, no. No. You can't burn you can't turn this mob over to the cops. They are the cops. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> okay, here's a film, a French film, but the American title is called is Why Not? Does anyone know this movie? pop no, no Playing at the Paris Why mm-hmm. not uh, I can't really read Any other details About it But it has a ton Of pull quotes From the critics Of course All falling over Themselves uh, A film by Colleen Seroux You know him or her C-O-L-I-N-E Colleen Ceroux.
4: Yeah Uh
2: No Um The Frisco Kid Was playing At Cinema One. Oh yeah
3: that That's another one I saw twice
1: That summer
2: yeah. Absolutely.
3: Never
1: saw it. Still have to see it. Oh.
3: Not, my. not 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 didn't hold up the last time I watched it. No, Is it's that, no good. You know, after after Young Frankenstein, Gene Wilder slips into sappy mode. Yeah. A lot of the time. I mean, he, I think he's still funny and stir crazy and I like yes. Silver Streak a lot, but uh there's a he gets this like uh, dewy-eyed kind of look and uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, that, you know that's perfect, I'd, right? I'd watch World's Greatest Lover World's Greatest Lover like in that. yes World's yeah, Greatest but uh, but in, uh, in Frisco Kid he, uh, he he really plays it for pathos and it's you know that, that chaplain shit you know
2: what about The Lady in Red <laughs> Woman in Red Woman in yeah, Red, that, Woman yeah. red.
3: Yeah. that one's got a few moments I guess that
1: had some funny stuff in it I remember laughing at that yeah
3: but not Hanky Panky which is no fun, you know. <laughs> no
2: let alone Some haunted honeymoon.
3: honeymoon. Yeah. Uh,
2: okay. Here's a movie advertises the flip side of American graffiti, The Wanderers. Oh, great movie! Just rewatched it. Great movie. Great book too. Totally. Yeah. Love the book also. Okay. So finally, here's this other, Here's the thing. At the Coachlight Dinner Theater of Nanuet, it's All a right. Broadway. It's a Broadway show. It's dinner. It's dancing starts August 15th, Farley Granger, at the Coach Light Dinner Theater of Nanuet in The Sound of Music. Wow. <laughs>
3: As Maria, right? Probably. Yeah.
2: <laughs> An entire evening evening of enjoyment, all for sixteen ninety five on week on weekdays. wow we. And I'm assuming that included dinner. So you got dinner and Farley Granger in The Sound of Music... For sixteen ninety five, Dinner theater is
1: fascinating to me because it was so big. I'm sorry I missed it. It always sounded great to me as a kid. There were always commercials for it. And I always wondered, I always pictured it like, remember at the end of the Partridge family when they would play a show, like their rock show? Yeah. It would always be people dressed up and there'd be like the little candles on the table and stuff. That's what I pictured dinner theater. So are you at a table watching a show?
3: Sometimes, yeah. or it was in the round. You know, the theaters. Right. A lot of the dinner theaters yeah. were in the round, and the and the I don't know if the I don't know if the stages or the floors ever spun around, but right. It's you know, any- you know who writes really well about the dinner theater experience is um, uh, the Tab Hunter autobiography. Oh, uh, uh, Eddie Mueller get that. Uh, uh, helped write. Um, it's he, he he had you know Tab Hunter spent most of the seventies doing dinner right. theater. Right, right. He really he gets into it. He talks a lot about yeah. the experience and. And you get a little bit of the of the taste of what it meant to be on the road in the, um, the Bob Crane uh, movie. Yes. that Paul Schrader.
2: Autofocus. Uh, autofocus. Yeah. A yeah.
3: little bit of that too.
2: Yeah, I saw um, South Pacific at a dinner theater on Long Island. Uh, my friend Robin Dan, uh, her her parents got got her a night. Took her to to. She she was allowed to bring one friend for her birthday. To see oh, um, lovely South Pacific, and she invited. So, how did it some... work? How did the dinner work? I I think you're right. We just we, you know, you know how it works. It's like the city winery and those places do that okay, now. Sure. It's like to go totally. to a show. Okay, that makes sense to me. Yeah, you're sitting yeah. at a communal table with other people. Yeah, and you're, and you're uncomfortable and miserable. <laughs> it's all. It's all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All
4: right.
3: All right. I had one. <laughs> w- I had one little thing I'd written down about hot stuff. Oh, Did you guys catch the second unit director? No. no. Uh, second unit director is Rico Browning. Does that name mean anything to you?
1: It's cool, but no. <laughs> Rico
3: Rico Browning is the creature from the Black Lagoon. He was a st- a stunt man Holy uh, and a de- wow. and a deep sea diver. He's the underwater creature in all three of the. Creature from the Black Lagoon. The classics. Movies, the wow. Ones, yeah. So any time there's a bit of trivia. Any there's an underwater shot of the creature, it's Rico Browning. So our man Rico in the Gill the Gillman suit. That's terrific.
1: Also, just made me think of another film from 1979, far superior, called Hots. A,
3: a, a late night Showtime HBO <laughs> Cinemax. <laughs> classic, which we
1: will be covering with Mister Skin guesting uh, in a couple of weeks on Crackpot Cinema.
2: Oh wow! I'll be listening in. One other, one note about hot stuff that I had that I never got to say was that they must have hired somebody specifically to dirty up people's undershirts because they're the filthiest (laughs) undershirts in this movie. That guy who steals the guitar, uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then there's somebody else, and then Dom Deluise, like the back of his shirt through most of the things, completely sweat. sweat. sweat Oh Lord, Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that when he actually gets blown up and thrown into the water, there really isn't much difference uh, when he gets out of the <laughs> no, water in like, the rest of the movie. Yeah.
1: God, they probably saved him from a heart attack taking that dip in the water there. Yeah. So, well, all right. So we are. This was great. This was our first guest, Jim Healy. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. It was we a lot of fun. We turned an otherwise unremarkable film into something <laughs> quite remarkable. It's it's out there, and uh, we'll be back in uh, two weeks. Mr. Riser, with a guest, I believe. Yeah, let's go. Uh, we'll try that. We'll work and, on it. And um, are we going to give that a crack, that two minute warning in two weeks? Yeah, let's
2: try to do two minute warning two, in two okay. weeks with
1: Mr. AB. Um, and uh, we have a, a way of closing that Ben
2: closes the show with. Uh, fuck you, Bill de Blasio.
1: <laughs> thanks, one and all. Not the mayor of New York, by the well, way. Well, fuck him too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm him too, but yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. Thank you. Thanks, all, guys. Man.